Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was booted! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Would you wonderful singers all take a deep breath in with me like this? And let it out. The year is 1980. Ronald Reagan is president. Shows like Miami Vice and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous debut. We devour self-help books and play Madonna's Material Girl on a loop. That's right. Once again, let's all take a deep breath in together. And quietly let it out. That's right. The 80s are overflowing with extravagance and excess. Power suits, McMansions, and Wall Street brokers with slick back hair and cell phones the size of a dictionary. I want you to sit back in your chairs for this next song. And all of you, close your eyes. And you can just hear my voice singing this song for you. I'll wait till all of you are ready. And Rafi, he's in his 30s. He's become the sought-after children's musician. Thanks a lot. His first three albums were huge hits. He has a national distribution deal, his own record label, and he's packing out concert halls. Thanks for the clouds so high. He's making real money. He buys a comfortable house with a big yard for his dog bundles. Fancy restaurants and fine wine become part of his daily life. Rafi has it all. Thanks a lot. Thanks for all I've got. 
thanks for all I've got. So why does he feel like something's missing? I'm Chris Garcia, and this is Finding Rafi, a 10-part series from iHeartRadio and Fatherly in partnership with Rococo Punch about the life, philosophy, and the work of Rafi, the man behind the music. I was brought to a place of wonderment. I mean, I had everything I'd ever wanted in life, including being married to the <laughs> the cheerleader from a rival high school. <laughs> I had a, a successful career now. Rafi wrote Thanks a Lot in 1980, at a time when he and his wife, Deb, were literally living the dream. And listening to the song, you can hear so many emotions. Rafi's reflective and vulnerable, maybe even a little sad. I didn't want to just keep doing more of the same because I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a, well, let's do more of the same. No, I'm not like that. I'm a person who grows with experience and then wonders what's next. So I remember in meditation, praying to the divine, saying, you've given me everything I've ever wanted. What can I do for you? How might I proceed in a way that feels like service? I remember that moment. And then, as if in an answer, I was guided towards writing a little song about a wee white whale on the go. And all the goodness that came from that song, that album. And I still listen to that album on occasion. I'm blown away by, by how beautiful it is. I'd like to sing Baby Beluga with you. Baby Beluga in the deep blue sea. You swim so wild and you swim so free. Heaven above and the sea below And a little white whale on the go Baby Baluga Oh, baby Baluga Is the water warm? Baby Beluga was an overnight sensation. It's still one of Rafi's most famous songs. He wrote it as a tribute to Kavna, a beluga whale he'd seen at the Vancouver Public Aquarium. I remember doing a... My first uh, cross Canada promotion tour of an album was was for Baby Bluga. I remember being in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, and I had eight interviews in one day. That was whoa, that was a lot. <laughs> so I sensed that there was something special, but you couldn't know until the years passed how big it was going to be. You couldn't imagine, you know. You curl up snug in your water bed. The moon is shining. That song fast-forwarded Rafi's stardom. It connected with parents and their kids, an audience who was craving really good music. Suddenly, everyone wanted a piece of Rafi, and advertisers wanted a piece of his fans. And a little white whale on the go. You're just a little white whale on the go. Rafi says he was asked to play some famous venues, places like Madison Square Garden. It was a sign he'd hit the big time. But rather than join the likes of Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones, Rafi said no. 
because the audience would be full of very, very young children in a very huge environment, not the best environment for them, let alone me as a performer trying to reach them. Rafi couldn't stomach the fact that his face would be projected on massive screens just so kids sitting in the nosebleeds could catch a glimpse of him. Well, I'm talking about a musical performance in a hockey rink in front of 20,000 people. Come on. Like, that's, who wants? Like, a, it's not my idea of a good time. Yeah, especially I feel like with a crowd that young, it might be, it might be difficult for everyone. Yeah. And ex- that's exactly it. And Chris, it's not even a concert hall. It doesn't even have good acoustics. Come on, you know. Everything about it would be a challenge. Why would I throw myself into that? To me, my music for children and families has always been about the music, about the feelings, the qualities in the songs that play in the minds and hearts of the very young Raffi always put his fans first, and as his audience grew, he found that he needed to protect them even more. This is the rugged new G.I. Joe adventure team. Charlie Danger! Beautiful doll! Here's Charlie Danger's hideaway house! Here comes a Mesa Maddox, the car with a brain. Now make a Mustang. No, I remember there used to be television shows on Saturday morning for kids. They were often cartoon shows or or other, you know, and often you couldn't tell the commercial from the show itself. Highly exploitative of the young child who is not old enough to know the pitch aimed at their innocent minds. The primary goal of advertising and marketing is to train kids to become consumers. Basically, the corporate world discovered children as not just a viable market, but a really big market. Susan Lynn knows all about this. She teaches psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and she spent her career researching the harmful effects marketing has on kids. Marketing to children is a factor in so many of the problems facing children today childhood obesity, eating disorders, precocious sexuality, youth violence, family stress. Susan says children have always been marketed to through their televisions. But before the 80s, there were federal guidelines prohibiting how kids were targeted with ads. They were considered too young to understand the difference between commercials and entertainment. But as Rafi was reaching peak success, that all changed. In 1984, the Reagan administration deregulated children's television. And according to Susan, all hell broke loose. And it became fine to create a program for the sole purpose of selling toys. So that just changed everything. That's how we got shows like G.I. Joe and My Little Pony, half-hour infomercials masquerading as children's entertainment. Raffi had an audience of young kids, and he couldn't stand marketing to them that way. When we think of a young child's impressionable mind, respecting that young child for the whole person that uh, young children are, why would anyone who cares about this young audience, who treats them with respect, who holds them with respect for their dignity, why would anyone seek to exploit their innocence? 
their naivete. These were the beginning seeds of what Rafi would later call child honoring, a philosophy he would fully embrace years later. He felt that kids should be respected as whole human beings and that they shouldn't be marketed to. You know, we who want to give young children our best in all our interactions, in all our capacities, our relationships with them, our job is to do that with respect. It's just that simple. You would no longer exploit your own children for monetary gain than you would somebody else's. Isn't that right? In essence, the childhood years should be full of creativity and exploration. Rafi would later go on to author a book about this philosophy. It included a chapter written by Susan. This is going to sound simplistic, but I believe that children are people. And um, they're not teeny tiny adults in little bodies. Their minds are growing and developing. They're deserving of dignity and they're deserving of kindness. They're deserving of opportunities for self-expression. And Rafi shares those beliefs. And consumerism ran head on into those beliefs. Children are inundated. Our lives are inundated with commercials. We know that. But to try and take the most basic steps to minimize that exposure to commercial brands is a good thing. And we can all do it, especially those of us who are successful, right? Especially us. We're making enough money. <laughs> I mean, if we don't say no, who will? I mean, really, all of us should. We shouldn't be in it for to, to earn an income via exploitation. That is not okay. But soon, Rafi would have to put his philosophy to work. Before him, children's music wasn't really seen as its own distinct genre. Rafi felt like kids weren't taken seriously, and what passed for children's entertainment was just a bunch of noise. Children's entertainment, uh, in some circles, used to be viewed as a magician who would put on a magic show and he'd say, I'm going to count to three and you're going to say abracadabra. And he'd go, one, two, three. And then people go, abracadabra. And he'd say, louder. And then they'd say, louder, louder. Kind of said to myself, what the heck is that? I'm not doing that. You know? So if I'm not doing that, what am I doing? Okay, I'm singing songs. Which songs am I singing? Songs that children can make their own, that they can join me in. Rafi stood out. His success put a spotlight on his young audience new listeners who were hungry for good music. And advertisers were paying attention. As Rafi's fame grew, he held fast onto his values, even if there was a cost. Sure, I knew I was probably saying goodbye to millions of dollars of potential revenue, but so what? That's not what my music making is about. Girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. 
She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1992, Rafi had a big Hollywood moment. His song, Raining Like Magic, was featured in the movie Ferngully, The Last Rainforest. It was an animated film starring Tim Curry and Robin Williams. The story is about a fairy who tries to save a rainforest from loggers. It was Rafi's first time singing in a film. The movie spoke to Rafi. He thought anyone who saw the film would demand that rainforests be protected. It was a cause he'd grow to care about deeply. It felt like a no-brainer. A few years later, Rafi says he got another call from Hollywood. This time, the offer was more complicated. DreamWorks, the powerhouse known for Shrek and Kung Fu Panda, had an idea. They wanted to make an animated movie about Baby Beluga, Rafi's hit song. It was the kind of deal that would splash Rafi's beloved whale on screens all over the world. It had the potential to turn him into an international star and make Rafi crazy rich. We asked two questions. Would the film be directly advertised to kids via fast food outlets and every other form of direct advertising? Well, the answer was yes. And would, uh, would there be a whole host of cheap, plastic-made characters from the show sold probably through fast food outlets again? Yes. Well, that's all we needed to hear. Turning down an offer of a Baby Beluga film from the makers of Shrek was easy. It, it took no time. But you said yes to the Fern Gully movie. How are those different? Well, only my song, Raining Like Magic, is in the Fern Gully movie. That's what I said yes to. So that's understandable. Um, the Baby Blue movie is entirely different in that that's, that would be a film inspired by a song that I wrote. And uh, when I learned that the way the film would be marketed would be exploitative of young children and their families, I said no. I'm trying to understand what it means um, for you to exploit your audience for commercial gain. Like, what? where is the line? I don't do it. For you. I don't I don't do it. You don't do it. Never. How can you even ask that? Of course I don't. I don't I've never done it. I wasn't accusing you of it at, at all, ever, you know. No, no, I don't I don't do it. I've never done it. I don't that's not what I'm about. I can't and I will not participate in ventures that would do that. But you felt comfortable with providing a song to Fern Gully. That was okay. Well well, yeah. Why wouldn't it be? Well, you uh, you wrote a great song for it, but and at the same time, it was Fern Gully was marketed directly to kids and had a Pizza Hut meal, um, you know. Not, not not I wasn't aware of okay. any of that at the time. In fact, if you look at what year it was, ninety two, I think. You know that that wasn't even a conversation then. So. You know, if my understanding of these things grew along the the decades, then good for me. But no, no, those things weren't even discussed at the time. I, at the time, I was happy to be contributing a song to a to a film that was, you know, looking at the devastation of um, 
forest ecologies and so on. And, and um, if indeed it was marketed in ways that were not what I would choose, I'm sorry about that, but I wasn't even aware of some of that at the time. Maybe it's hard to look back and have to dissect why you made the decisions you did. And I get it. I'm an entertainer. It's impossible to understand the ripple effects of every decision you make. And yet, every decision you make is scrutinized by the public. But to the people around Rafi, he did live what he preached. Michael Krieber is a musician and composer and a longtime collaborator with Rafi. To boil it down, you could say it's integrity. You know, his message, what he believes in is what he does. And that's the best word for it I can, I can find. He has integrity and he, it comes from a profound caring, you know, for kids and for the planet and the issues that are close to his heart. Psychologist Susan Lin was also paying attention to Rafi's decisions. Taking a stand against commercialism was actually, it might have been in the best interest of his soul, but it wasn't in the best interest of his pocketbook. And that's impressive to me. You know, he could have made a lot more money if he had, you know, done the Baby Beluga movie and commercialized it. There aren't a lot of artists who've done that. Rafi was trying to change the world by turning down one movie or endorsement deal at a time. But it was kind of like David against Goliath, because the advertising industry was busy teaching kids how to nag their parents more effectively. It's called pester power. They found that it was helpful if kids had reasons why they wanted something like one example they use is, gee, mom, I really want Barbie's dream house because Barbie and Ken want to get married and raise a family. And then they identified persistence nagging, which is gimme, 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 gimme. And one of an organization that worked around consumption did a study and found that there were 10 and 11-year-old kids who were nagging 50 times for one thing. And nagging is exhausting. All you parents listening right now, you know exactly what Susan's talking about. And Susan says nagging affects how kids develop, undermining their critical thinking and emotional stability. Starting a baby off when their brains are just beginning to make connections and when we know that habits and behaviors can be formed in early childhood and to start them off turning to screens for stimulation and for soothing instead of learning how to self-soothe or to turn to other people or, or the, the outside world for stimulation and for soothing. That works very well for the corporations, the toy industry, the media industry, and today, the tech industry, but not so well for, for babies and, and young children. It's the opposite of Rafi's song, Thanks a Lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the sun in the sky. That's a celebration of nature and the world around us. It's about gratitude and wonderment. But Susan says advertising not only interrupts children's development, but it also takes advantage of our human flaws. And marketers count on 
selfishness. They count on me first. They count on taking care of yourself. And then they count on being able to convince people that they need whatever product in order to take care of themselves. Altruism is not part of commercial culture. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the moon midnight. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the stars so bright. What you're presenting when you present music or art to any audience is about the art. It's about the music. And it's not to be confused or muddied by something else that you have no business associating with it, right? For any audience of any age, especially for young children, because they're learning about how the world works, how the adults in their lives are conducting themselves. Thanks for the people everywhere. Thanks a lot. For all I've got. Thanks for all I've got. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of Rafi's most beloved events was the International Children's Festival in Vancouver. It's the longest-running kids' arts festival in the world. At its height, 90,000 children and their parents gathered for music, theater, and puppetry that highlighted kids' creativity and exploration. And for years, Rafi was the headliner of the event. They used to uh, keep increasing the size of the tent that I would perform in, the Rafi tent, as they called it, because of the demand for shows. It was just amazing. I would do like eight shows in one week or ten sometimes. But all that changed in 2000. Out of the blue, suddenly I was informed that, oh yeah, this... uh, a car company was going to have its cars on the lot of the festival. I thought, what the heck is this? I pulled out so fast. I was really stunned and shocked. And Well, I felt hurt. I felt personally hurt that they would, they would do this. He didn't want anything to do with that. So he wanted the music to speak for itself and the messages to come through on their own without, you know, commercialism attached to it. Musician Michael Krieber says he never saw Rafi waver from his beliefs. And together, they played some impressive gigs, like Broadway and Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, Broadway was a big deal. That was thrilling. And to play all that beautiful music with these kids, he had a great choir. And the choir was assembled from the children of all these luminaries around New York, like people he contacted. Everybody was super friendly. This was a pretty heady time. They'd teamed up with Phil Ramone, a legendary producer who'd worked with Billy Joel, Paul Simon, and Elton John. 
But even with all the attention, the Hollywood stars, the media spotlight, and the pressures that come with it, Michael says Raffi was never tempted to commercialize his music. He's shown that there's a, a respectful way to treat that audience. That's really the key word, you know. It's a respectful way where you're not trying to take advantage, you know, make them buy stuff. He's a man of principle. That, to me, is a very high principle. And when he talked about it, he was very passionate about it. He says, you know, I, I just really do not believe marketing to kids with, is not going to happen with my stuff because it's, you know, uh, it's not fair. They're, they're too vulnerable. They're, they're exposed to millions of images, as we know, day and night, day and night. Most of it, very shallow and commercial. People are selling you stuff, right? So why why give them more um, and call it something to do with rap? He didn't want anything to do with that. Michael admits that walking away from lucrative gigs, and especially ones that really mean something to you, is not so simple. Of course, it's hard. And I think... The entertainment industry is gigantic. You know, people are going to offer you money to endorse their product, or they're going to say, we'll put on a big concert. It's just that our logo will be there. It makes it harder, right? For sure, it's harder. But maybe this is where Rafi had an advantage. Michael says Rafi had built a loyal following before powerful advertisers came calling. And he gambled that his fans would show up at his concerts and buy his albums, even if he didn't commercialize his name. I don't know if those choices were easy for him, but he would know that I can sell records from their merit. I can do concerts because I'm a great entertainer. They will come, you know. So I I think he knew that and therefore was able to resist some of the commercialism. I understood that I had to protect this music. I did what I needed to do to protect the artistic integrity which basically meant that I was going to be in charge of how that album got sold and how it got advertised. It would never be advertised to kids, and it never was. As the promo poster that I designed said, a delightful new children's recording. (laughs) That's all it said. And the front cover. All I really need is a song in my heart If you listen to enough of Rafi's music, you start to hear the messages, the seeds Rafi was planting. Take Rafi's song, All I Really Need. And I need some clean water for drinking. And I need some clean air for breathing. Rafi wrote it at a time when he had the big house and the flush bank account, a time when he was feeling uneasy with the pressure to make money off his audience by serving them up to advertisers. This was Rafi's protest song, his way of pushing back against greed and commercialism. As Michael Krieber says, Rafi's music is sort of like an onion. Peel back each layer and you find deeper meaning. The song sounds simple, but the message is pretty, um, they're very universal messages, and they're, they're actually very profound messages. When you think about it, all I really need is, well, what is it, you know? Okay, well, I need to eat, and I need, I need love. Kind of a paragon of integrity to do what he does, because if you slip up and it's sort of like, oh, well, Robbie's just another commercial guy. But he's not. He cares about what he's talking about, what he's singing about. 
not everybody that has that kind of guts to do it. It's so quite a bit of weight on your shoulders. You know, all of this is just an expression of love, respectful love. That's all it is, respectful love in action. We can all do it. Rafi's refusal to market to kids was his first big awakening. But what came next would make him stop performing altogether. Next time on Finding Rafi. We uh, did our first program for television in 1989 on global warming. I realized that global warming, we called it then, was a, a real threat. I called it in my script a slow motion catastrophe. I knew that we had to get going on it immediately. And we heard about this meeting and thought, wow, you know, there's going to be all of these old men sitting around talking about our future. Somebody should be there to represent what's truly at stake. Finding Rafi is a production of iHeartRadio and Fatherly in partnership with Rococo Punch. It's produced by Catherine Fenelosa, Meredith Honig, and James Trout. Production assistance from Charlotte Livingston. Alex French is our story consultant. Our senior producer is Andrea Aswahe. Emily Foreman is our editor. Fact-checking by Andrea Lopez-Cruzado. Rafi's music is courtesy of Troubadour Music. Special thanks to Kim Layton at Troubadour. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert and John Parati at Rococo Punch, Ty Trimble, Mike Rothman, and Jeff Eisenman at Fatherly, and me, Chris Garcia. Thank you for listening. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.